0: People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives for really, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit.
1: There's a lot of books about the Beatles, and a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong.
0: where you go trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you beatles is beatles have beatles 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 it doesn't matter you know what what people say you can't live all your life by what they want another kind of mind a different kind of beatles podcast by
2: another kind of mind
3: Welcome to Strange Bedfellows, an ACOM series about Yoko Ono and Paul McCartney's struggle over legacy after John Lennon's death. In episode one, we detailed the major events of the 1980s how the initial detente between Paul and Yoko turned into a battle for control of the Beatles' narrative. In episode two, we welcomed author Joe Hagan, who offered his insight into Yoko, Paul, and Jan Wenner, the Rolling Stone editor who fueled the public perception of an ongoing competition between Lennon and McCartney. Or is that McCartney and Lennon? Mm. In episode three, we continue our analysis of the Paul-Yoko relationship throughout the 1990s. It's a decade that includes the tenderest of highs and the bitterest of lows for McCartney and Ono. Are they allies or adversaries? Or do they swing back and forth according to their needs, desires, and moods? Are their motives strategic or emotional? We'll unravel the most pivotal events of this decade and attempt to find out. We'll begin in the early nineties, entering what will become a peak of camaraderie between Paul and Yoko. And it begins with good old Jan Wenner and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: privilege for me to be able to do this tonight and come here. So I've got some random memories in the form of a letter to John. Dear John.
3: So as we all know now, as detailed night, by Joe Hagen in Sticky Fingers, Paul was asked by Jan Wenner to induct John into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994. And he did. Paul gave, by all accounts, a moving and heartfelt speech recounting many of the highlights of his relationship and career with John. He was loving and respectful towards Yoko and Sean. They were affectionate and respectful in return. They all seemed to be in a big old love fest at that time. And I was perceived by everybody to be very sincere. Of course, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame story takes a turn when Paul learns he won't be inducted the following year, as promised by Jan Wenner, that gets into a whole beef between the two of them, which we won't yeah belabor. Yeah, we won't go over it again here. Joe discussed it in the prior episode. But <laughs> for now, um, <laughs> the main takeaway is that this creates good energy and good will between the McCartneys and Onos. I think that Paul was looking for redemption here and I think he got it. This is a redemptive moment for him because he took so much flack for saying it's a drag yes. the day after John died and it took him years to live that down. This is really the first public opportunity he's had exactly. to there was honor John. Yeah, there was no funeral or memorial or and he didn't attend the uh, concert thing And I I think not only did he need the moment in public, but I feel like he probably just needed it in terms of closure. I mean, the whole reason that we have funerals in the first place. Is this the longest public speech Paul has ever given? I mean, I I would think so. At least up until that point. Mm -hmm. This is a one man and a mic for like nine minutes. It's gotta be one of the longest speeches in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What, what I find interesting about it is that it is so, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to say self-centered, but like, it is all about his John and his relationship with John. It is definitely not a recap of John's personal personal. (laughs) career. Yes. Which on the one hand I get, you know, people could spin into being like, oh, it's so self-centered of him to just talk about himself and John instead of, you know, John's life as a whole, you know, you could think that, or you could think, well they ask Paul McCartney and this is Paul McCartney's experience and he cares about his John the guy he knew you didn't know that guy I mean anyone could have gotten up and given a life review of John Lennon the celebrity well and it's not even a recap of their greatest hits either I mean he he barely mentions any songs or albums or anything yeah that's true I mean, he mentions writing a day in the life, but that's only because Thank of
1: the, you. You the chemistry between them at the time. Yeah. I remember writing day in the life with him. And the little look we, we gave each other as we wrote the line, I'd love to turn you on. We kind of knew what we were doing, you know? A sneaky little look. Ah, oh, boy. And then Yoko comes into the picture. This girl called Yoko. Yoko Ono, She uh, showed up at my house one day, and um, it was John Cage's birthday. And she said uh, she wanted to He sweeps over a sport. lot of stuff. It's basically yeah. like, kind of just
3: ends at Sergeant Pepper for him. And then he's like, then John John Yoko comes in. And, and the next thing you know, you're living in New York with your beautiful baby, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. There was some nice phone calls. The yeah. end. I set up a of got... for anybody who wants to say oh this john cage story that's paul's version of things he said it on stage john's induction right in front of yoko yeah and she, and she comes on and gives him a big hug and says thank you paul i mean like right i see no reason whatsoever to doubt the john cage story i think it's weird that he trots it out in this particular venue i don't know if it's a little bit of a flex (sighs) oh it's definitely like and for the record yoko approached me beetle paul of the Beatles, which is unnecessary it doesn't have to be shady it could just be i was there for everything you know right Mm -hmm. i was there when your mom died I was there when we had success. I was there when Yoko entered the picture. Mm-hmm. Any which way, it's a flex. It might not necessarily be a dig, but I do think it's him trying to get that shit on the record. Yeah. Can
0: Paul and Yoko, please talk
2: about the emotional feeling of being here tonight. And being together?
3: May I
0: say this? That I really think it's grand that he's come here, and I'm very happy about that, and I think that Joe
1: would have been very pleased.
0: And Paul, what do you feel emotionally?
1: Yeah, I feel great. I mean, you know, we just came right in um, uh, from England, so I'm a bit jet-lagged, but it was a um, beautiful evening uh, just generally with all the other inductees and stuff, but obviously this was the highlight life for me. Um, seeing Yoko after quite a while, um, getting back together again, and getting back together and seeing Sean, who is uh, the son of my mate, and uh, you know it's just good to be back together again. Oh.
3: can you talk about your emotions no um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a no-go uh yes i very much enjoyed the flower arrangements here at the rock and roll hall of fame banquet it was a fine salad uh, he's like he's like i gave yeah, right. a speech you think there's more in here no <laughs> yeah, right the please go away Is empty <laughs> we're down to monosyllables at this point people yoko looked amazing and she sounded very sincere with yeah. her you know it's it's grand to be here yeah you can feel some love happening and some awkwardness well and i think just like trying yeah I just wanted to talk a little bit more about what we ended the first episode on, which was this idea that Paul is beginning to shift the way that he talks about him and John in public. We introduced the idea, but we didn't really unpack it. Maybe it was because of what Yoko told him about John's feelings. Maybe Paul just did not recognize how much John felt loved i guess there's two parts to it what's sort of motivating him internally what is he discovering about his own feelings about john's feelings because something about the way he has talked about john in the past 30 years is kind of repentant especially the way that he introduces here today in his live shows and just the fact that he incorporated that into his live shows to me it all it that i love you that comes in at the pivotal moment always feels like a confession i admit it i didn't yeah. say it enough or i couldn't say it when you were here and then when he sings it live he does this whole speech about don't yep. wait until people are gone to tell them you love them so it almost feels motivated by guilt hmm yeah maybe paul thought that they were on you know the same page of the like yeah of course we love each other but bros bros don't say that i don't have to he knows just like i know i don't need to hear it therefore i don't need to say it either yeah so maybe he just either assumed or maybe he wished if you don't like to say i love you the best case scenario is that you have somebody who also doesn't like to say it so then that exactly. problem is exactly gone. exactly so you might even resent the person who needs to hear i love you a little bit more which is also going to make him mm-hmm. feel guilty so there's that, but there's also, I, I don't even know how conscious this is on Paul's part, but the good thing about the shift from John loved me to, I love John and I still love John, by the way, that shift works in his favor because nobody can dispute that.
2: Oh, you know, that's a
3: good point. Yeah. Nobody can argue with him because that is well, Paul's point of view. That is a way of highlighting and refocusing that relationship on the good parts and the love parts. Paul just comes out in the beginning of the interview and is like, I love John, you see? There's kind of nowhere to take that. (laughs) As we've discussed, the flip side, or the one, I guess, drawback, because it's just kind of taken at face value, it does sometimes come off like one-sided. Mm -hmm. like oh well Paul keeps saying that he always loved John okay well then I guess that's true so now we're gonna start incorporating that into our books but we haven't changed the John portion of the story right we're gonna keep the old version of John which whatever I guess Paul's like I don't even care anymore me making the googly eyes or John making the googly eyes it doesn't matter (laughs) it's the point is we were crazy about each other that's all I want you to take away yes it's Mm -hmm. a lot better than we hated well, each other and we were never friends and we were never friends yes which is absurd i am curious about like is it because he thinks that people have the wrong idea and so he wants to correct them specifically the wrong idea about paul didn't love john yes and and i come down on the side of maybe at first but the fact that he is still yeah nobody thinks that anymore exactly mm-hmm. but it's possible that they did at the time of this shift and that that is part of what's motivating Paul in this shift. In fact, listeners may remember at the end of our Mm -hmm. first episode we played a clip of Yoko from 1990 where she essentially says Paul only talks about the Lennon-McCartney love because since his death John became revered as she put it and Paul subsequently found it advantageous to be known as loved by the revered person and a friend of ours graciously sent us an audio of that entire radio program and informed us that this got written up in the British press as Paul says, I loved John. Yoko says, no, you didn't. Like that was literally (laughs) the headline. So it Uh, seems I do think there was a perception, at least in some eyes at the time, that Paul was not sincere about his love for John. Ultimately, I think really the only thing that matters is their interpersonal relationship just the the idea that john didn't feel loved enough by him or that he hurt john in some way is going to bother him a lot more than what other people write about it or whatever Mm -hmm. although that bothers him
2: that's not not real
3: yeah that's just people saying shit the truth is what hurts Mm -hmm. if the truth is that He never did it because he was always waiting for a better moment that didn't come, you know, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be a regret and regrets are hard to live with. But I agree that the Rock Hall was a turning point for Paul and a new direction for him in terms of what he's going to focus on forevermore. Mm -hmm. Yep, forevermore. I really think he's trying to put into practice the idea behind the love you take is equal to the love you make. Yeah, I agree. The more love he puts out there, yeah, it's only going to come back to him. 1995 certainly was a peak in terms of Paul and Yoko getting along. The McCartneys, for their part, hosted the Onos in England, Yoko and Sean, and they even had a jam in Paul's studio and produced a track called Hiroshima Skies Always Blue.
0: John, we're here now, together. Bless you, peace on Earth, and strobe fields forever.
3: What was that like? I mean, is Paul... Is Paul in his hey i'm cool and groovy whatever let's see what happens or is he kind of like um, whatever i'll accompany this weird person in in the interest of harmony i think jamming is just something that paul really enjoys doing right 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 and also probably something that makes him more comfortable than sitting mm. around doing chit chat and small talk sure. so probably he was like uh absolutely let's do it this is much better yeah most sort of extended family if they're getting together for an awkward sort of family reunion or whatever mm. mm-hmm.
2: they would better. What,
3: kick a football around or exactly you place categories this is kind of a version of that
0: <laughs> i don't
3: Why? Does that seem weird to you? Yeah. (laughs) Paul is strangely... does not sing with Yoko. Mm. No, he doesn't, but the McCartney uh, women do. Mm Mm-hmm. So Heather, Mary, and Stahl are singing uh, backing vocals to Yoko's lead vocals. Paul's playing electric upright bass. James is playing guitar. Sean's on harpsichord. And Lynn is on keyboards. It's <laughs> actually a really cute image. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that Paul will facilitate Yoko's jamming. With instrumentation but never with his voice like even back in the you know the get back jams yeah and he he's such a like joiner <laughs> yeah with singing you know he doesn't want to sing with her yeah yeah there's not really a lot to contribute i guess i don't know he d- he does a little bit in the uh martha my dear jam and get back Oh, does he? Just a little bit at the end. He kinda does a few yelps and or yops or whatever.
0: (laughs) He's busy.
2: And also
3: if she's like both wailing and then punctuating the wails with screams, I mean she's kind of taken up the whole space, you know. Right. Then again, Heather, Mary, and Stella found a way to do backing boo so right. Um, There's also an interesting little note here that I just want to flag, because to me, it shows that Paul and Yoko are talking candidly, and that Yoko is sharing info with Paul. We're going to dig into this a bit, because we feel it's important, not just to Paul and Yoko, but to Paul and John, too. Yeah, so um, maybe go put the kettle on. (laughs) Settle in. fluff up your pillow. (laughs) So in 1995 paul remarked i was told recently by yoko that one of the things that hurt john over the years was me going off and doing the family way and he discusses this in more detail (laughs) elsewhere but -hmm. the point is that this is something he did not know until yoko told him right meaning that john never said anything to paul about it right number one (laughs) And we know from the first episode and the whole, you know, calling up Hunter Davies incident, that that was a thing Paul was wondering about. And that was one of the first issues between him and Yoko is, why is she saying this to the paper, but not to my face? What are these things that I did to hurt him that she won't tell me about? Mm -hmm. And maybe it was in that period of the early 90s when they were getting closer around the anthology time, around Hiroshima Sky time. Mm Mm-hmm you know, maybe she's opening up to him a little bit and giving him a little bit of what he wants from her, which is information. Yeah. Some clarification. If he is still trying to process all of this unexpected information that came out after John's death, and he still is trying to contextualize it and and kind of saying, okay, well, obviously there were things at play that I was not aware of. Yeah. I wonder if it not only made Paul rethink a few things in terms of, you know, how John experienced like the specific thing, but also about like, well, why, why did I, why did I do not it? In- yeah. Not yeah. include him. Yeah. Because then we get that quote about how it's, oh God, how it's like women these days. You want to get, you know, out from under the shadow of the husband and go and have their own, you know, more independence. I think when Paul says women these days want their own thing, he is drawing from his own experience, having gone through that with Linda, who at this point has written her own cookbook and launched her own cooking line. Something Paul reportedly was a bit uncomfortable with at first, Mm -hmm. but definitely supportive of in the long term. Right. Makes perfect sense that Paul would want to stretch his wings a little bit on his own. Well, it's like, he's within his right to do that. And that's, that's fine. However, you know, once you say that out loud, and you realize, oh, well, I, what I really wanted to do was something without him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was part of the appeal.
1: For me, it was very interesting, because, you know, it allowed me something on my own. You know, like women these days want to get away from their husbands and get a life on their own. You know, it was a bit that, because the Beatles was a bit like a marriage. So it was quite good to just get away, do something on my own. Um, I think if I'd known that John was disturbed by it, I would have just asked him to join me. We could have done it, it would have been no problem. But I liked the idea of doing something solo, just for a change, because everything we did was a four headed monster. You know, so it was quite nice to get away. It was a good break.
3: He's like, I just really wanted to do something without him. And then he circles back and he's like, but if he had said something to me, we could have done it together. Sure. Which I think is kind of his way of saying like, if I had known it was going to become a huge issue and that he was going to take it so badly, if that was part of my cost benefit analysis, I might not even have done it. Mm -hmm. But he's also trying to assert his right to do it and defend his want to do it. He even used the example of like John was able to write books. Yeah, and go off and do a movie. And, and literally go off and do a movie, like at the same time, like contemporaneous to yeah. the story. Exactly. So yeah, I wanted my own thing. Why do I have to share all my stuff? And yet John can have his own things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and you know, for another point what reason does Paul have to think that John would enjoy doing a whole bunch of orchestral music well that's another good point too I don't think he did I don't think so either isn't John in that scenario sitting there with Paul and George Martin going boring yeah yes like come on (laughs) Paul play with me it's not that john wants to do it he just doesn't want paul to do it by himself yeah like the biggest takeaway we get from this is that they are not communicating at all they have anxieties and fears they're not talking to each other about i don't think john is sitting down going oh well well i did do the movie and i did do the book so it is normal for paul to want to do this well right obviously he's not doing that why was he under the impression that they were going to do it together i mean it could be something as simple as like they were talking on the phone and paul says yeah they they offered us to do this film and john said oh yeah i said yes so that's happening john's like oh okay (laughs) but he but by us he meant me right that sounds plausible doesn't it yeah yeah paul i mean paul says us all the time when he means me oh he does And John wouldn't go, wait, 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 who's us? The Beatles or me and you? Mm -hmm. I would ask that. I would offer a follow-up question, but I could see where John might not. Mm -hmm. That could be fact-checked pretty easily, though. Like, where did this offer come from? And was it presented to Paul? It, It seems to me that it was an offer to Paul. Because if it was an offer to Lennon McCartney, when they got the result back, they'd be like, why isn't this Lennon McCartney? Why is this only Paul McCartney? You know what I mean? Like if if you're contracted for Lennon McCartney, you're gonna want Lennon McCartney. You're not gonna want just Paul. And if the publisher just wanted the name Lennon McCartney, they certainly could have called it Lennon McCartney, even if it was just Paul composing, mm-hmm. because there's obviously precedent for that too. Right. Okay, so Paul goes on to say, I didn't know until a year ago that he wasn't pleased. He always told me, fine, because he'd been acting in a film. He did a film called How I Won the War. So we started to do little solo things just for a change, just for a break. And so I assumed, I asked him, is it okay with you? He said, yeah, fine, fine. But Yoko told me that he was actually a little bit put off by that because he hoped probably that I would say Lennon McCartney will write this together. But to me, it seemed a good opportunity to get away of what I did normally. But Yoko just told me, apparently, John was a little bit hurt about that, which is sad. But we did actually talk about it. He just never told me at that time. He probably just covered up. I wonder if this was one of those things, maybe, that didn't bother John so much at the time.
2: Mm. But then
3: after, you know, after things started to mm. to go bad, you look back and retroactively maybe assign things significance or are finally able to acknowledge the hurt that you did feel at the time but repressed or or whatever yeah well when he talks about it on the set of the movie I wouldn't say that he sounded gung-ho to do the movie exactly but he did sound like he was looking forward to having a project with Paul as soon as he got back
0: I know we've got music to write as soon as we get back and paul's just signed us up to write the music for a film so i suppose it's off the plane and into bed and knock 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 get up and write some songs a
1: film that's not your own
0: yes very exciting
1: which
3: you know made me which makes me wonder you know how (laughs) how did paul keep him out of it apparently paul had started to write some of it in october right before yeah. he left on holiday. And then when he came back, because George Martin tells a story about like, Paul, yeah. he kept bothering Paul and Paul kept putting him off until he finally had to show up to Cavendish and drag Paul to the piano. And John right. yeah. was there. So it wasn't like Paul wasn't spending time with him. Like they were exactly time exactly. together at Paul's house. Yeah, So... My guess is they were just catching up and hanging out or whatever. And then, but that's the other weird part too is because George Martin does not seem to be under the impression that John's going to be working on it at all. Right. Because he drags Paul to the, and he's pestering Paul. He's not even talking to John about it. So again, I think this was a miscommunication. I think it was Paul's project all along. I think Paul was talking about it to John because he didn't want to be doing something behind his back. And I think, probably was hoping that if he kept john in the loop and he wasn't hiding anything that john would not mind him to do it by himself but he also probably did not want to have the conversation like so i'm gonna be doing this by myself you understand that right are you cool with that Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to have that conversation (laughs) yeah because he might you know he might suspect that john will have something of a double standard or that john might have the expectation of like well writing a book and doing a movie is one thing but composing music like that's what we do together or Uh, just that john would react badly sure or that it would just hurt his feelings and paul doesn't have the nerve to hurt his feelings to his face yeah so he's just gonna kind of ghost him on it (laughs) assume that you know that it'll be okay yeah yeah that john the john will get over it yeah we recently discovered an article a contemporaneous article from late 1966 on the family way shout out to the mccartney legacy for posting this thank you very very much So it's a nice little profile of Paul McCartney, published in the Sunday Times Supplement on January 22nd, 1967. The Family Way sessions were in December of 66, which is most likely when this interview occurred. He's talking about the Family Way, explaining what it is, how he doesn't write musical notation, but he, you know, writes the music and George Martin helps interpret it. And Paul says, I want these instruments to go here. And he can kind of guide the orchestra, you know, the typical stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's also a, just a nice profile of Paul at this moment in time. And it says a lot of stuff that we already know, that the Beatles are kind of on a break, that each Beatle is kind of doing his own thing at the moment. But there are a few quotes from Paul that are a little bit shocking in this context. Sgt. Pepper is such a pivotal time. 1967 is such a pivotal time for the Beatles, for Lennon and McCartney, very much for Paul McCartney. I feel like it's sort of the peak of when Paul really begins to individuate. And at the same time, it's the peak of when John wants to what's the opposite of individuate merge, assimilate. (laughs) Although interestingly in a few years, John will, will claim that he, that he was wanting to individuate at this time. Well, that's why it's important to read this stuff. Like I know that John said that, And to a certain extent, if that's what he said, then you're kind of bound to assume that he means it and that he's not lying and he's not rewriting a different story. Although people do that all the time when they break up with people. Yes, they do. They definitely do. But it's important to go back to the actual record (laughs) of what was happening at the time. Right. Mm Mm-hmm we can't know what was in john's mind like maybe he was privately thinking that and just didn't share it to anybody at any time around him and mm-hmm. was acting in the complete opposite manner i mean that's possible or maybe he was swinging wildly back and forth well yeah or he's having moments of insecurity like if you start fearing that somebody's going to leave you maybe you do start making a secret bank account you know what i'm saying mhm yeah so so Yes, it's very possible that he's thinking, what's going to happen when Paul leaves me? And I'm on my own. What am I going to do? Am I going to be writing poetry books? Am I going to be, I I don't want a film career. I like to make music, but I don't want to be out there on my own. Yeah. I'm definitely not going on stage alone. That ain't happening. Right. Also, meanwhile, totally unrelated, but I really need to get him to take acid with me. (laughs) (laughs) right <laughs> <laughs> purely for bohemian reasons back to the article here's mccartney's thoughts on growing up we've all of us grown up in a way that hasn't turned into a manly way it's a childish way that's why we make mistakes we've not grown up within the machine We've been able to live very independent lives. Now we're ready to go our own ways. We'll work together only if we miss each other. Then it'll be hobby work. It's good for us to go it alone. Hmm. Okay. Seeming non sequiturs at the beginning, but but not sure what manly and childish and machine has to do with anything. But we're ready to go our own ways. We'll work together only if we miss each other. If he meant that, that's huge. I think this is a role reversal of 1969, because in Get Back, obviously, we can see Paul is the most insecure about losing the structure of the Beatles and going on his own. I mean, he, he would agree with that. Totally. Yeah, whereas, by contrast, in this period, late 1966, Paul appears to be the most secure and optimistic about a potential future without the Beatles. Right. Versus John, who feels very insecure about it it's pot like i have to voice that it is possible that this is bravado here on paul's part or he's maybe he's mad at john or the other Beatles, but for what or or i don't know i'm just saying maybe but i don't think he's because he's not grinding an axe at all i think he's just excited at the opportunities that lie ahead for him in exploring different avenues and thinking about different career paths like i really do Mm -hmm. that's why i think he's talking about growing up like all of them he's excited to shed that beetle image you know he doesn't want to be that anymore for sure but i think he also is like thinking about his future and like what's he gonna do when the band goes away i mean i'm assuming that he's assuming (laughs) that john's gonna (laughs) always be there and that he's all they're always going to be able to write songs together that's true yeah again the beatles don't necessarily need to be together as a band for john and paul to work together until they're 60 to me he just comes off as confident and happy Mm -hmm. also we know that's john's perspective at least in retrospect because two days after the divorce meeting in 1969 he says of this period my depression lasted nearly two years and i was still in it during pepper I know Paul wasn't at the time. He was feeling full of confidence. Yeah. And I was going through murder during those periods. Back to the article. They also talk about Paul's home, the art that he has in it. Then we get a quote from Tony Barrow, the Beatles press officer for many years. Barrow says... Paul is now leading a very organized life. The other three don't know what they are doing. They wait for others to tell them. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. (laughs) But Paul always knows. You ring him up and he will say, Nope, not Thursday. I am dining at 8. Not Friday because I've got to see a man about a painting. But Saturday's okay. It isn't that he's changed, but out of all of them he has developed the most. Yeah, I mean mostly he's just saying Paul has a has a busy calendar and he's organized. Yeah, he's organized, yeah. Like like a regular adult. <laughs> right, Paul keeps track of his own appointment <laughs> schedule. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> shocking that he says out of all of them he has developed the most. Not shocking because it's hard to believe, but just shocking that it's right there in print. And yet, why did it take many years from now to get this narrative going? I mean this this article is from 1966. Well, it was lost to time for a long time. Yeah, as opposed to John and Yoko's interviews, which were very much, very much front and center for decades. Yeah. All right, and now we have the big, the big bombshell. Right. So they write about Paul uh, going on safari in Africa, and you know his little road trip in France, and just being out by himself which we all know about at this point and the fact that he grew a mustache so he could be (laughs) semi unrecognizable which probably had uh limited success uh they mention his interest in film and the little films he's been making on his own the writer likens one of them to fantasia and mentions paul's favorite stockhausen piece which is Kontakte, for whoever cares and he mentions wanting to make bigger films in the future. It's a little foreshadowing of Magical Mystery Tour and all his other film endeavors. But the real headline is this seemingly uh, innocuous quote that's kind of buried in the middle of the paper. Yes, by way of explaining the mustache, Paul says, "It's part of breaking up the Beatles. I no longer believe in the image. I'm no longer one of the four mop tops." So, and, uh, so to me, this is most meaningful insofar as what John would have thought if he'd read it. Like, I don't think that Paul wants to leave the Beatles at I agree. this point. I agree. I think he's just kind of using these words to describe what, what I think they're all feeling, which is a little smothered by the expectations of, you know, being the little cartoon cardboard cutout. Absolutely. And... But if you're John Lennon in 1966 and you read this i think nothing good happens in there i agree i mean to us reading it we go oh okay well paul really was on board for breaking up that mop top image and it's not an earth-shattering revelation like i think george harrison would read that and just you know not think anything of it but yeah if you're paul's partner and you're feeling insecure at the moment and you read that
2: mm-hmm.
3: That's hurtful. Just in case anyone is wondering why we think John is insecure at this time. We think that because John not only contemporaneously said he hated being away from the others and was never (laughs) so glad to see them again even though Ringo was actually in Spain with him part of the time and he and Paul uh, met up in Paris at some point. John wrote The loneliest, most isolated song of all time, Strawberry Fields Forever, while he was away from his friends. Also, here's an account from Gabrielle Crawford, whose husband, I'm assuming it was her husband, Michael, was in How I Won the War with John. She spent a lot of downtime on the set with John. And she said, we talked about life. He was very interested in mine. I was interested in his. John was curious about everything. He was a very gentle person, I found him quite insecure, actually. By all accounts, that's how John was feeling at the time. Yeah, so what we're saying is Paul might have inadvertently given John cause to feel insecure. In fairness, right around the same time, John Lennon says the same thing to a reporter. He's like, we don't have to work together. We like to work together, and we missed each other, so we came
0: back to each other. That's it. Other people's going to go their own ways in 1967. They could be, you know, on our own or together. We're always involved with each other, whatever we're doing. Really. Could you ever see a time when, in fact, you weren't working together? I could see us working not together for a period, but we'd always get together for one reason or another. I mean, you'd, you need other people for ideas as well, but, you know, and we all get along fine. This, the songwriting team thing will keep going on, whatever happens, will it? Yeah, we'll probably carry on writing music. So. Forever.
3: if you love something set it free <laughs> <laughs> which is true which is true and makes me think it probably was a trial separation i mean a, not even a, a very tri- brief like, <laughs> a very very brief show like a trial separation meaning like we're just gonna go on separate vacations <laughs> and yes you can, right. it's like you can fuck whoever you want like whatever happens in cabo stays in cabo i don't want to know about it Mm -hmm. and then we'll come back and we'll see how things go and then paul goes to cabo john goes to spain they come back and they're like all right you good i'm good yep we've confirmed that we like each other more than anyone else well and it also might explain bouncing back after you know a, a bit of a relationship trauma at least on one side that can cause peaks of intimacy you know, if John is feeling insecure and then he goes back and Paul is lovey-dovey and wants to hang out and does acid with him and lets John live with him in his house. Yeah. You know, I can see how John, how that would, you know, create, you know, a peak after the, after the doubt. Well, there is, there's no doubt. 1967 is peak closeness for yes. the Beatles. I mean, especially for lennon mccartney i mean paul's talking about them all you know being the same person and Mm -hmm. john's like fuck this whole life that's it we're buying an island yeah live together forever finally he gets it well and it also makes sense why john might have thought in you know sixty nine seventy that that's what they needed again
2: Mm mm-hmm
3: Like, he'll come back. Maybe we just need some time apart. Sure. Which they did, regardless of whether or not they got back together. (laughs) Like, they needed to be away from each other. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And then at that point, it just becomes a question of, like, okay, do we want to get back together and give it another shot, or is this the end? And sometimes you have such a, you know, much better time in Cabo that... But uh, you want to move there. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least get a timeshare. Or you meet somebody in Cabo who you Mm -hmm. like a lot better than the person you're vacationing from. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Anyways. We know for a fact, in John Lennon's own words, we didn't meet anyone we liked as much as each other. And then the next year something goes horribly wrong yeah but back to the mid nineties. around this time Paul begins work on the Beatles anthology along with Ringo and George his relationship with Yoko is in such good stead that she gives him a tape with four songs on it three of which are unfinished and this obviously meant the world to paul he has spoken many times about how moving and special the experience was to be able to sing with john again and by the way i recently saw a quote from paul about free as a bird Mm -hmm. and the the extra lyrics they added paul had i guess he had written some and george was like no those aren't good and Paul was like, "Ah, oh, that made me really mad." But he was right, and I'm, you know, I'm glad that we went with it. And I'm like, "Yeah, what? Th- you guys only added like two lines to the whole fucking song. What? What could you have been arguing over?" Well, <laughs> Paul wrote a sonnet to John. And George is like, "No, no, no." But they're already pretty sappy. So this is the yes. the, the only lyrics they they added were. that's it that's all they added it's literally two lines yeah Paul says quote he was right meaning George but it was a little tense for a moment so maybe his first attempt wasn't full hearted like I don't want to say half assed but maybe it wasn't as open yeah yes personal Yeah. yeah maybe he was holding back on the first attempt yeah. Yeah, maybe George pushed him to write something more sincere and from the heart. Or to take it down a notch. I you know, who knows? The idea that, that George is pushing Paul to <laughs> express more tender love for John is hard to swallow.
2: Mm.
3: You know, he got him to write better lyrics, but it turns out that the better lyrics were actually more annoying. <laughs> Yeah. Not that we actually know how George felt or what he said. We're just we're just goofing. But I I do love that coupling. Whatever happened to the life that we once knew, can we really live without each other? Like I think that's a really strong lyric. And that's in yeah. Lennon- McCarty. Yeah, call and writing, response. Yeah, writing together. That's good stuff. And you know, you gotta match the energy of that first line yes so if john's going there paul's got to oh, go there too definitely no that's high drama whatever yeah. happened to yeah oh john can be so fucking wistful and dreamy mm-hmm. but he sells it i mean he does it doesn't sound cheesy when he says it, it doesn't no yeah he's really good at it <laughs> yeah he's a talented fella So the Beatles completed two of John's unfinished songs. One was Real Love and the other was Free as a Bird. And Paul said, there was one more that we didn't do, which was a pity. It didn't have a very good title. It needed a bit of reworking, but it had a beautiful verse and it had John singing it. But George didn't want to do it. The best thing about it all was to work with John again. Hearing him in the headphones, it was like he was in the next room. Like, fuck, I'm singing harmony with John. It's like an impossible dream.
1: And I, I was very emotional. I thought, wow, you know, yeah, the boy, Johnny, you know, I loved, of course I loved him, you know.
3: So, again, that shows us how much it meant for Paul to reunite with John. More so than with George, by the way. Mm. Like George is, you know, alive, oh and he, God. Is, you know, he, the, this is a, a relationship he actually has the ability to repair, or at least mm. to attempt to repair. Mm-hmm. And he's like George, who I got to sing with John again, mm. and Ringo was there. Oh God, and and George was there too. Yeah. George is like, hello. George is yeah, like, I'm I in hate the room. you. I hate this song. Yeah, <laughs> you made me hate John all over again thanks a lot Paul. <laughs> yeah. I hate the Beatles, I'm leaving
2: uh, right? yeah
3: can you imagine how excited Paul was about this song <sighs> yeah and George is like oh yeah let me sing back up on this song John wrote for you Paul yeah, please let me be a party to your ongoing bullshit that doesn't even yeah. stop after death. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? He's Fair. not wrong. <laughs> He's not he is not wrong. He is not wrong. I think he sh- it should remain about them. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. Like don't drag George into this. Don't drag poor George. He doesn't want to be involved. No, he doesn't it- want to be your fig leaf of plausible deniability. Ringo's cool with it that's fine. And if Ringo's involved, then you you know, you can't not have George there because then that's awkward. Yeah, there's no scenario in which this is not awkward. Uh this song obviously means a great deal to Paul. I think he's extremely extremely grateful to Yoko for these tapes. Yeah, she did not have to do that. No, she did not at all. It, it's it's very transparent why he'd be extremely grateful to her
2: mm-hmm.
3: it does feel like it, something is lifted off of him doing the anthology yes that's my impression anyway he feels a little less crazy after maybe or a little yeah. more crazy i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Both. just a little more a little more comfortable in his craziness perhaps well a little more like it's a falling do or whatever mm-hmm totally yeah Well, and I think a weight, another weight has been lifted by Get Back. Yes. Here's a great quote from Paul that I want to share. So he says, I invented a little scenario. John's gone away on holiday and he's just rung us up and he says, just finish this track for us, will you? I'm sending the cassette. I trust you. That was the key thing. I trust you. Just do your stuff on it. I told this to the other guys and Ringo was particularly (laughs) pleased and he said, oh, that's great. It was very nice, and it was very irreverent towards John. The scenario allowed us to not be too, ah, the great sacred fallen hero. He would never have gone for that. John would have been the first one to debunk that. A fucking hero? A fallen hero? Fuck off, we're making a record. Paul refuses to treat John like an icon, Mm -hmm. which is good. Yes, I think that is correct and healthy, but I do think it's one of the biggest disputes between Paul and Yoko. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Paul has mentioned a few times over the years how much he regrets the way John's image has been you know, formed and sort of calcified in the public eye, whereas Yoko is all for it. For instance, in 2009, Paul told The Telegraph that Lenin's image was, quote, seriously flawed, unquote. Because, these are Paul's words, he was not the hard, mad man that people think he was. He was a very soft-centered guy, and we had a lot more in common than people think. And here's Paul in
1: 1993. John was not hard. John was the softest guy I've ever met. John was a baby. A lovely little baby, John was. But when he got in front of him, the, the glasses come out. Yeah, that's that was
3: his front. My little baby. My marshmallow mm. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Paul. <laughs> to be be confronted with this absolute lunacy of an image of John. Be like, oh, people. The thing you have to remember about John is that is everything it- he said was bullshit. He was a chihuahua. You fell for his act, hook, line, and sinker. I get it. Yeah. I get that, but you know you know the chihuahua (laughs) barking at the door right yeah you you see the shadow of the chihuahua that makes it look like (laughs) a pit bull yes (laughs) the chihuahua is very smart about angling the lights (laughs) just right i saw the suit off the glasses on the hair ruffled yeah the little blind eyes blinking (laughs) from paul's point of view the public doesn't need any reminder right of the the hard side right his job in his view is to put john's soft side on main he's Mm -hmm. called him cuddly many times yep i mean a man does not call another man cuddly unless they cuddled i mean we could continue discussing john's (laughs) image there is like plenty to talk about but for now we want to focus in on that reverence and sanctity that paul objects to but which i think yoko very much embraces (laughs) absolutely yes yeah she worked hard to fortify that you know yes not only after his death either i think from the get-go one of the things she brought to john was permission to take himself very very seriously definitely not that he shouldn't be able to if he wants to no, he, he should be able to if he wants to, but we should also be able to
2: laugh at him for doing that.
3: Yeah. And like one of the great things about the Beatles was that they were not pretentious. I'm not saying it's wrong to be pretentious, but definitely Yoko's art is pretentious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which, it, you know, which is kind of fun. Like there's there's a place yeah. for that. I agree. I don't begrudge her that. I agree. And obviously, John was attracted to it. Speaking of which, (laughs) (laughs) there was a seemingly minor dispute during the Beatles anthology over the origin of the Beatles name. Back in 1961, John wrote a column for Mersey Beat in his signature absurdist style claiming that a man had appeared to him on a flaming pie and said ye shall be beetles with an A or something so apparently during the making of the anthology Yoko insisted that this be treated as a genuine vision on John's part rather than just like a goofy piece of creative writing yes and apparently it was like a non-negotiable demand yes they had to take out the entire thing From the anthology So here's here's what Paul had to say John wrote a piece called On the dubious origins of Beatles and the basic line That we all laughed at was something like I had a vision and a man Came unto me on a flaming pie And said you shall be Beatles with an A and so it was (laughs) Now we took This to be goon humor and a sort of Biblical joking And God said unto thee come forth And he came forth
2: Come fourth, forth and, and he, he came, came fifth. fifth. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, dumb. Oh, but, um, yeah. <laughs> That's very much the humor that was going around Liverpool at the time. Now, it turned out that we couldn't have this in the anthology because Yoko believes that John did have a vision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very friendly with Yoko now, so I don't want this to look like a side <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it genuinely intrigues me that she thinks this.
2: I find it genuinely
3: genuinely, bullshit. (laughs) I find it genuinely nigh unbelievable that she would think (laughs) such an idiotic thing. (laughs) And the way I tried to put it to her was, you can say I had a vision, and people (laughs) will go, okay. You could say a man came unto me. Okay, it's starting to sound a little biblical, but it's all right still. On a flaming, yes, this is okay. It's even more biblical. Now, if you'd have gone to the word chariot, we would be all right. Or if you'd gone to the word phoenix, we would be all right. But the word pie is a dead giveaway. (laughs) A man came to me on a flaming pie? I know in my mind that John didn't have a vision about this. But the way Yoko puts it is, (laughs) if it's okay for paul to dream yesterday then it's okay for john to have a vision so these are the kinds of things that cropped up it's only a difference of opinion so it doesn't matter vastly we've tried to make our point she's made her point and we've arrived somewhere in the middle i love how paul like takes us through the (laughs) the logic step by step comedy could be defined as the sudden perception of incongruity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which in this instance hinges on the word pie <laughs> if it's okay for paul to have dreamed yesterday, what does that even mean yeah what what the hell is she is she calling bullshit on that story or is she just like paul is Doesn't the only one who was touched by the supernatural i guess she's saying like well if you get something then john's gonna get something yeah but that's dumb yes it's childish she can't be i mean i guess she could be disputing that he dreamed yesterday but i don't i personally don't think dreaming yesterday is unusual or weird like of course paul dreams too it's not like fucking aliens invade your brain when you go to sleep it's still your brain (laughs) right Like, why are we shocked that his brain is working when he's asleep? Of course it is. I wrote a sonnet in a dream once. So yeah, that's a dumb comparison. I guess that's what she's saying. Like, if you get to have that, then John gets to have this. Well, there's got to be a better. This is the wrong hill to die on. I know. (laughs) But I'm glad that he was like petty enough to bring it up. Yes. If it's okay for Paul to dream yesterday, just to let you know where she's coming from not that this undercuts the sincerity of her belief in this vision at all right except that it totally does or the sincerity of my intrigue my genuine intrigue i find her so interesting don't you think she's interesting let me tell you how interesting she is (laughs) okay so paul and george both thought this was ridiculous because it is ridiculous but it also is probably not worth making a big deal out of However, Paul goes ahead and makes a big deal out of it anyway. (laughs) So afterwards, he not only writes a song declaring, I'm the man on the flaming pie. (laughs) He named his whole ass album, Flaming Pie. (laughs) Oh, so that's either the most petty thing he's ever done. Or the most outstanding. Yeah, right. Baller move either really petty or really pimp probably both you know yes definitely it's not really like a classy move (laughs) no it's a very rock and roll fuck you type thing to do well it is and it's you know it's a for our purposes it's a great window into what this relationship is like because i i i have to assume that this is something that crops up between them from time to time not the flaming pie issue specifically just differences of opinion (laughs) whenever they have to work together like where they each think the other is being very stupid and annoying well it's funny it's like it's it's very strange how we kind of don't talk about flaming pie more because writing that song and again calling the whole album flaming pie Mm -hmm. kind of is a way for paul to say i mean he might as well have named his album i'm the man oh You know what I mean? I don't know. I think it's more like, let me show you, let me demonstrate the concept of humor in music form. And perhaps that will get through. I don't think, I don't, I think the man on the flaming pie is a character, like a sketchy character. (laughs) Like the character might be saying, I'm the man, but he's like unhinged and unreliable. So I, so I don't. (laughs) if paul like if paul's taking on that character i, I don't see it as paul saying i paul mccartney and the man he's inhabiting like a sketchy braggart yeah i mean, th- th- definitely exaggerated for sure it's like a caricature yeah. yes yes there you go yes of course the man the flaming pie is a, is a character and it's just a goof and he has plausible deniability about it right mm-hmm. it's uh, like i i like it I, I think it's oh me too whatever i don't take it any bad kind of way But it's a definite dick move. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like, you know what? Shut the fuck up. Yes. I'm the man on the fucking flaming pie. Fuck you. My whole album's flaming pie. Suck on that. The walrus was Paul. This is a chapter heading in many years from now. The walrus was Paul.
2: Mm. Because
3: John tried to like, I'm the walrus. He like tried to take it back afterwards. Yeah, he did. Paul's like, fuck you
0: he did have bald. this
3: have this crumb you did a good job you can have the credit i don't want it wait i changed <laughs> my mind i want the credit yes <laughs> yeah now paul's like i'm the man on the flaming pie mm. <laughs> <laughs> how about them apples george didn't george say once in an interview like sometimes i was the walrus too. Well, and then there's a quote from Paul where he says, well, sometimes John was, sometimes I was, we switched it up according to how we were feeling, which makes me think, does the walrus actually mean something to them in their dumb, coded, (laughs) whatever? I'm serious. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just means the big dog or whatever. Yeah, yeah but but if he's like i mean listen it doesn't mean anything he could just say i'm the man on the flaming pie it's a joke it is it is a right. joke right right yeah but i i do feel because like, since no one is that man
2: yeah because he
3: doesn't exist then i can be right we're all aren't we all a man on a flaming pie but definitely the mojo of the song is like i'm the man this is who i am deal with it watch this this is easy for me by the way you know you know this isn't even Mm -hmm. me trying well and it puts the ball in yoko's court of like (laughs) right exactly do you want to defend this Yoko? exactly 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 (laughs) yeah she's put in the position of either saying well that's not what i meant which is a win for paul or of her having to defend this indefensible take which is also a win for paul so exactly so so he handled that one real smooth i think yeah yeah in
2: 1997
3: paul's authorized biography was published many years from now hmm <laughs> it includes the story of Yoko approaching Paul in 1965 for a manuscript as well as the story of Yoko approaching Paul in 1974 to carry a message to John during the so-called lost weekend. Mm. Yes. It also details Paul's involvement with the Inica Gallery and the International Times, written in firsthand detail by the proprietor of both, Barry Miles. Paul and Miles also detail Paul's interest in avant-garde music and art in the mid-60s, his interest in Stockhausen and John Cage, his spearheading of the Sgt. Pepper album, and his fusing of avant-garde techniques and styles into Tomorrow Never Knows and A Day in the Life, among others. Even though all of this information has been available for years to anyone who ever cared to do the research, at this point no Beatles author had chosen to do so. So this information became quote-unquote revelations to a public who had become used to thinking John was responsible for every single innovation in the Beatles' career. It's kind of disturbing because when you cross-reference everything like it's pretty easy to go back and find all of the film and interviews and publications of paul at this time that support all of this Mm -hmm. like it wasn't really that hard to do it just nobody had portrayed him this way before right Well, and John and Yoko and Wenner and Philip Norman had all done a real bang up job of erasing that. Yeah. So if they're doing a great job and Paul's not doing any job at all, this is something he chose to do in 1997 because nobody had done it yet. Nobody else was doing it. Yeah. That's a long time for him to have waited, hoping that (laughs) he wouldn't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah well it is a little degrading that he has to do it himself Mm -hmm. obviously like you said he got to a point where he realized no one else is going to do it so either i just sit around and do nothing and hopefully someone will take my case up in the future you know or you could be proactive about it the flip side of that is people are going to bitch and complain and they're going to be like oh you're tooting your own horn and right you know know, it it's not the best look because ideally you want somebody to mythologize you for (sighs) you you know of course you don't want to have to do it yourself (laughs) but john and yoko did it they were just a lot slipper about it and better at it yeah and they did it like right from the Mm get-go in a large part due to yoko's savvy and her skill at that yeah, and a big part of that is to some degree believing your own spin, hype. Or yeah. yeah, or at least being unapologetic about it and seemingly unself-conscious about it. Paul is so awkward whenever he's trying to take ownership or take credit, he is simultaneously genuine about thinking he deserves it but also apologetic yes. for it. Yes. And so then it's clumsy,
2: yeah.
3: It's clumsy, yeah. And he's visibly uncomfortable doing it, which can give the impression that he's being disingenuous even when he's not. Like if if you're sweating, then that must must mean you are lying. Mm-hmm. Even if the reason you're sweating is cuz you're afraid that people will think that you're lying even though you're not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like I, he, I, he's going to fail the lie detector test of saying his name is James Paul McCartney. yes like... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. In any case, Yoko must not have liked the focus in many years from now on Paul's verifiable, uncontested contributions to the Beatles in his own biography. Right. Because, yeah, shots fired. Shots were definitely fired. This is a big, this is a big one. Yeah, this lights the fuse. I definitely think so. The insult heard around the world. So in December of 1997, she compared Lenin to Mozart and McCartney to Salieri. This was apparently said to a 20 minute program for the BBC called Ozone. It's a Yoko Ono special according to the article we found, it was used as further promotion for the album Lennon Legend, and it says Yoko discusses a wide range of subjects, uh, including John's songwriting, The breakup of the Beatles, and she uses it as an opportunity to hit back at Paul for some of the things he said in his book many years from now. So th- this 1998 article is, is claiming that this is a direct result of many years from now. That's the writers takeaway, for whatever that's worth yoko says i know paul thinks he was leading or something like that the way john led the band was very high level on some kind of magical level not on a daily level like paul said oh but i was the one who told them all to come and do it i made the phone calls john did not make the phone calls john was not on that level of a leader he was on a level of a spiritual leader. He was the visionary, and that's why the Beatles happened. That's so nasty. It It is. And still, a magical level. I know Paul thinks he was leading or something like that. Wow. Like, first of all, fuck off. Secondly, it's it's just so <laughs> condescending. It's like... Paul, I know you think nagging people is leading, but it's Mm -hmm. not. Making phone calls doesn't make you the leader, Paul. You're a glorified secretary. She's not even saying Paul is lying about things that he did. She's just like, Paul is confused about how important (laughs) he was to this band. Yeah, she doesn't dig into tape loops avant-garde music or being the idea man for the last fucking five albums (laughs) like right pushing the, the direction the musical direction that the band goes in i mean yeah they fought over it of course but you know suggesting that he's not leading in that direction is obviously untrue that's what the dispute was about that's what they were arguing over right you can't be like, Paul wasn't driving the car because John wanted to drive. It's like, no, actually, that by definition means that Paul was driving mm. the car. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in John's own words, John didn't like how Paul was leading. What does leading mean if we went in circles? You could say, like, I know Paul is proud of his leadership of the band but it actually caused a lot of friction and i think yeah. it led to the breakup if you want to say that that's valid and I, sure and i think that john's leadership would have been better he would have led them to something even greater that's kind of an argument against abbey road exactly which is a hard argument to make you could say, well, I would have rather they mm-hmm. sounded like Delaney and Bonnie Plastic Ono Band. Like, that's the direction I wish the Beatles had gone in. That could be your opinion. You could say, of like, course. Paul should have just sat the fuck down, taken a back seat, and let the Beatles become the Plastic Ono Band. That would be my preference. If that's your preference, good for you. Exactly. But doesn't It doesn't change the reality of what's going on. And also, you know that Paul's gonna be like, first of all, <laughs> you getting involved in what should have been a private dispute between the members of the band is part of what fucking went wrong and blew the whole thing up. So mm. the last mm-hmm. thing I want right now is your fucking opinion. Yoko. Sure. You're not a Beatle. Right. You never were. Whatever. <sighs> Obviously, he's pissed. Yeah. We know this particular comment really pissed Paul off. <laughs> he brought oh, it up yeah. to Esquire magazine in 2015. And he brought it up to Joe Hagen, as Joe told us in our last episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, this stuck in his craw. This is Yoko's interpretation of, I guess, many years from now, that Paul's taking credit for the entirety of the band's success. Yeah, I, I suppose so i read many years from now (laughs) that certainly wasn't my takeaway from the book yeah it was just an account of paul's personal artistic journey within the beatles years you know again it's kind of wild that no one had written that book yet it's also nuts to think he's not allowed to do that why wouldn't paul give his version george did it John did it like obviously he should be allowed to do that. Yeah, I mean I guess the assumption is that you know they were telling the truth and but Paul is lying. If he was lying you you can just dispute the lies. I don't even think it's that people think he's lying. I think people just think he's showboating. Mm. He's overinflating his importance and influence. He just thinks too much of himself. That's the criticism even if even if he was and did well so i get that if you think that 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 is not super appealing but i'm always a little taken aback because because it's like i mean stars being a bit arrogant to me is not like a capital offense if somebody you don't like is arrogant you're like oh that guy's arrogant you know but if somebody you do love is arrogant you're like damn right yes arrogance is another word for confidence and it, you know at some point it all gets down to who you believe has the right to be arrogant and who doesn't exactly exactly who's and entitled to their right, ego we're not having that conversation we're not no i ain't going there my mother ain't going there <laughs> yes that save it have it somewhere else <laughs> we're not doing this today <laughs> the other hilarious part is that paul has in his mind turned this into just book to the studio right but i can't find a quote from yoko where she says that yeah me neither yes booking the studio is effectively the same thing as making phone calls but it's not at all what yoko said <laughs> Right. But it's always how Paul characterizes it, which is just funny. But on a serious note, this is pretty big stuff they're fighting about now. You know, it's not just that she's saying, well, John, John didn't make phone calls. She's going on to say he was not on that level. He was on a much higher level. He was on a spiritual plane, a visionary plane, and he's the whole reason the Beatles happened, yeah, like he's on a level Paul can't reach. That's what she's saying <laughs> right. That's the implication, right yeah paul's just a guy john was special Mm -hmm. and to be fair i mean that's basically what every author has written so far on the beatles Right, there's still a lot of old school beetle guys who still think that i know i think there's there's still very much an attitude of well because i look back the Beatles, and I find John Lennon a more compelling and charismatic character, that must mean that that was the driving force behind the Beatles' success. Certainly stating that John was a leader and a visionary, and Paul just made some phone calls. Mm -hmm. That's fighting words. I love how Paul making phone calls is like used as an attack. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it becomes... Not that Paul's motivating, not that he's driving, not that he's spearheading projects. I mean, it, seriously, we're talking about Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour, White Album, Get Back, Abbey Road. All of those, with the exception of the White Album, maybe, were spearheaded by Paul. To turn that into Paul making phone calls is really, really insulting. <laughs> It is So that set Paul's Fucking head on fire (laughs) Forever Forever (laughs) Just takes one poke of the poker To get those coals burning again Yeah I think all the nicey-nice during anthology times made Paul think, oh, well, this is a new page on my relationship with Yoko. Yoko and I are now friends and we will be kind and civil to each other. We're on the same team. But from Yoko's point of view, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I will let you have, you know, this far and no farther, Paul. Yeah. You can have this, this, and that, but no way am I letting you be equal to John. Exactly. I think that's what it is. So I think yeah. you know, she's like, here you can have some of these shitty leftover songs. I'm willing to give you some some of John's love. Because I know mm. that you want that. But make no mistake about who's the the head beetle. That's always gonna remain John. Mm-hmm. That's what we got into this for. That's what we built this shit on, okay? Right. Right. To the top of the pile. And anytime you get too close to snatching that crown, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm there to check you. Yeah. So back to the Ozone show. Here's the rest of what Yoko said in that BBC special. Paul is put in a position of being Salieri to Mozart. And it said, because John passed away, people naturally have this strong sentiment towards him. Paul is always just encouraging people not given the same compliment that they give John now. And naturally, they do that because he passed away. It's a high price to pay for Paul to be in the same position as John. For Paul to be in the same position as John, what does that mean? I don't know. Does that mean, well, if Paul would just go get shot, he could be as loved as John. If you want to be on the pedestal, Paul, then you're going to have to be a martyr like John was, so shut up which you know i do take that point if she's saying yeah okay you've been demoted to second fiddle but at least you're still alive Hmm. why are you complaining like john about john being more publicly revered because he still got the raw end of this deal so stop whining well it's weird because she's at the same time she's saying john is leading the band on a very high magical level not on a daily level you know he's a spiritual leader and a a visionary but at the same time she's saying oh people just say nice shit about john because he's dead which is weird what are you saying i know so i think it's fair to say that her (sighs) intention with this is unclear the most generous interpretation is you could say she's trying to be sympathetic towards paul yeah by saying she might be saying that well people people put him in the position of being solidary to mozart but that's not necessarily accurate isn't that sad for paul and, and it's so- only because john died that's if you're giving her a hundred percent benefit of the doubt Which yes. I, I think is a little ridiculous considering she's saying this in the context of tearing paul down a salieri mozart comparison could be seen as a metaphor for what she did just explicitly say that john was a magical spiritual visionary leader and paul booked the studio yes yeah right he's just like a pedestrian sort of not talented composer but uninspired (laughs) the net takeaway is that Everybody remembers that she compared Paul to Salieri and John to Mozart. That's the only thing anybody remembers because that's the point of her saying that. Right. Once you make that analogy, it doesn't matter what other weird hedging you put in to make it sound like that's not what you're doing. You've done it already. If he's put in the position, meaning Mozart is exalted the way that John is exalted, and Paul is left there trying to go what about me and isn't that embarrassing and pathetic (laughs) and then paul is always just encouraging people not given the same compliment that they give john now i don't even know what that means yeah is encouraging people meaning like calling the beatles and saying let's make a record like is that what she's hearkening back to or is she saying paul is encouraging people to compliment him way that they do john but no one's taking the bait like i don't know what she's saying yeah any which way the point of it is to pants paul in public and as a as a brief aside all of our listeners may not be familiar with the extremely famous uh award-littered film amadeus Mm. which if you haven't seen press pause Go and <laughs> yeah, watch right. this movie. It's pers- it's one of my favorite films. Um, but the point being that that is most people's touchstone with Solieri and Mozart's relationship to each other was yes, and Solieri was a wildly jealous of Mozart, uh, a paragon of mediocrity, mm. and <laughs> and had a hand in Mozart's uh, untimely demise so it's a really it's a loaded comparison in oh yeah so many ways oh yes oh yes and also that salieri basically goes mad after mozart's death yes he can't get anyone to listen to him and has a long slow pathetic demise let's give her the benefit of the doubt for a second if she's saying Look, the situation of John being murdered and leaving Paul behind as the survivor has put Paul in an awkward position where John is naturally going to be exalted. And Paul is going to take a back seat, at least for a while. It might take him a longer time to be appraised properly, um, but he will. But in the meantime, it's making Paul's life a living hell. That's terrible. So I understand that. Like, if she had said that, I wouldn't actually disagree with any of that. (laughs) Like, that's kind of my position, too. You can't make that analogy in public, because that's not what people are going to take away from it. They're going to take away from that, that Paul is lesser, talented, mediocre, and jealous that he has spent his life trying to tear John down. Yes, that he's consumed with jealousy that John was touched by the gods. In a way that he wasn't, yeah yes, and that that's his villain origin story literally right <laughs> yes, like I say it's a great film go watch it it is well and also not for nothing but that's also not reality I mean that's a it's a that's a film somebody wrote you know what I mean like <laughs> well exactly really not what it's like it's a great story but the, but it's largely takes a lot of Liberty it, yeah it is yeah e- even the for synopsis sure. for it says it's based on an urban legend. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, this comment is ironic in several awkward ways. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, if we want to go there, and we really, really don't, but -hmm. if we wanted to make an analogy of the partner who was jealous and obsessed and wishing bad things upon his competitor, that's John. Ooh, yeah. If we're going to make it a contest you know not saying they didn't have jealousies that went both ways but of course yeah. but if we're gonna play an unnecessary and insulting zero-sum game yeah john where that one battle. has to be mozart and one has to be salieri yeah number two who composes delightful memorable iconic melodies with maddening ease oh yeah uh, paul paul is routinely compared to mozart i've seen that Written in official publications multiple times. And Mm -hmm. if you are interested in this topic, Mm -hmm. we have an episode dedicated to McCartney and Mozart and the striking parallels between them. I've heard John compared to James Joyce or Oscar Wilde, wordmen for sure, but Mm -hmm. outside of Yoko, I've never heard anyone compare (laughs) him to Mozart. Anyway, this is pretty transparently just sort of a clumsy attempt to call Paul lesser than John. And I think everyone agrees that it was real tacky and embarrassing and ultimately reflected poorly on Yoko and came back to bite her in the butt. Based on every article that's quoted it, yeah. I
1: saw you sitting at the center of a circle In 1998,
3: Yoko continued to unload against Paul and his claim about carrying Yoko's message to John during their separation back in 1974. Yoko said, Let him say what he wants to say. I feel that he has to say all of those things. But if he wants to get credit about it, why not? That's fine. I know that it wasn't true. I know that John didn't come back because Paul said a few words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, which, which is both true. Yeah. But also bitchy. Yes. Exactly. So we we unpacked this already in our pizza and fairy tale series. But uh, to summarize, Yoko doesn't actually dispute Paul's account here she just says that that's not why john came back to me Mm -hmm. which like you said is probably true but in fairness to paul isn't exactly what he said right and to a you know to most people i think would appear to be her saying that paul is lying yeah well it gives the i mean by saying i know that it wasn't true It it does make it sound like Paul's spinning yarn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, fast forward a few years to 2010, and Yoko will give a statement corroborating Paul's story, thanking him, and gushing about how caring Paul was to intercede to help John. Right. So, (laughs) something good happened, I guess. Which one does she really feel? who 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 knows who knows who knows but the point is that she did go to see paul she did ask him to help paul did deliver the message you know how influential that was in john's behavior that is undeterminable (laughs) yoko saying like that didn't influence john at all would be like well then why did you ask why did you get him involved (laughs) exactly what are you saying here i think even she's thought that through and been like you know what this is not a good look for me totally Totally. maybe i just pump the brakes and say thanks paul yeah yeah maybe that's the the classier move and it's very possible that paul didn't know (laughs) that john and yoko were talking on the phone every day so that would understandably give him the impression that he was carrying something to john john didn't know right that yoko couldn't get to him herself although by 1997 he has to know the opposite right because he's read uh may pang's book we has he we know for a fact that linda has read it Mm. so if linda's read it then paul knows everything that's in it and paul probably that's true may or may not have read it but he got the cliff's notes from linda but in any case he knows you know he he knows there's all kinds of shit going on this is his pr version meaning he's giving a bite-sized synopsis of this weird situation right right which which is fair because he well, what's they're as well they're as mysterious to him as they are to well that's true too to us too he's probably he's probably like i don't know what, what went on in their little mind game <laughs> whirly gig merry-go-round they had going on i just know the yoko came to me exactly exactly she said this i said that and yes. now you know as much as i do <laughs> yeah right right i mean i think at some point he did say and shortly thereafter he went back to her so he does that's kind right. of imply yeah, some voices. Yeah, says which is sort of what he did paul's happy to tell that story but i don't think it yeah. bothers him nearly as much as paul just booked the studio oh definitely not i don't know that it even bothers him as much as the about yoko coming to him first in the 60s i agree probably not top three <laughs> Correct, yeah, I think it's a little (laughs) further down on the list. So this is a blurb from the Chicago Tribune. I found many other papers who ran the same blurb. It's, It's typical of how this remark will forever be referenced. It begins, Yoko Ono says she was hurt that Paul McCartney didn't invite her to a New York memorial for his wife, Linda. McCartney's spokesman said the event was for family and close friends only. The magazine said it's possible McCartney is still put off by a BBC interview Ono did in December 1997, when she compared her late husband John Lennon to Mozart and McCartney to the composer's uninspired rival, Salieri. Oh my God, <laughs> this stuff is escalating now. It's getting worse. It really, it's really is. Really escalating. <sighs> it's funny because it's on the backs of them having this peace treaty. In the- mm-hmm the mid 90s and then it just goes nuclear it does yeah i wonder if there was an unknown triggering event or if it was just you know if if the if the nice times were an anomaly like if this is if being at odds is their default i mean yeah it's always a possibility that there's something behind the scenes that we don't even know about but this is Mm -hmm. what they're saying in public and my impression is they're not really hinting at something unsaid. I think they're, they're being pretty straightforward about what their grapes are, you know? Yeah. I think they're fighting about what it looks like they're fighting about, but I don't know. And definitely there are undercurrents of personal stuff too. They both loved the same man. Exactly. There's some personal stuff there. It's, it. there always has to be, you know? and also Definitely. like they, as we find over and over again as we continue to do this like they never really are friends they try to be friends i think a few times but they just aren't yeah yeah i agree And that's why i like the analogy of family because you don't have to like your family you know you really don't certainly not and a lot of people don't you know especially when there's estates and reputations and life's works at stake. So this is a big issue. We're just going to touch on it here. We'll come back to this. but um... Yoko would not let Paul reverse the Lennon-McCartney credit for Yesterday on Anthology, which angered Paul and apparently... In 1997, Linda, who was very ill, um, called Yoko on Paul's behalf, but Yoko would not budge. I couldn't find any contemporaneous accounts of this because I don't think it was public knowledge at the time. Mm -hmm. I think this dispute became known around 99, and it will crop up again in 2003 when Paul goes ahead and switches the credits for a live CD. We'll dive into that a bit deeper later in the episode suffice to say yoko is unrelenting on this issue and it becomes an ongoing point of contention i i have to say paul why are you upsetting your dying wife about the lennon mccartney switch i get that you're angry at yoko for saying no but i kind of feel like that's more on you than on yoko that linda felt she had to advocate for that i don't know it's kind of kinda... <laughs> maybe she's like jesus christ yoko will you just give him these fucking credits so i can stop hearing about this shit yeah and yoko's like that sounds like a you problem <laughs> yeah right she's like girl let me let me talk to you about hearing shit that i don't care about mm. <laughs> <laughs> you think your husband's a problem oh bitch mm. please (laughs) we're all victims of Lennon mccartney's (laughs) nonsense what i wouldn't give to have one conversation that didn't revolve around paul Mm. so good luck with that Lynn. yeah and you know maybe sometimes when people are dealing with an overwhelming crisis that they have zero control over they fixate on something less important Yes. something maybe they think they can fix as a way to soothe you know an escape from the terror this is a made-up problem
2: right. that he doesn't right. need
3: you have enough real problems right now exactly. don't make up problems don't borrow trouble yes nah. but i mean again that tells you that it's about something more than what it seems to be about I don't think it's going to solve what he, like, it's not going to do what he thinks it's going to do. Even if you win, who cares? Right. It's not going to accomplish anything. I can understand being territorial and being like, this is my album. I can put the names in any order I want. I already did that in the 70s and John didn't make a peep. You know, I hate that anything with John's name on it has to go through you you know i i get that but mm, well, at the it, end of the day
2: let it yeah. go
3: yeah and i think that's probably getting to kind of the heart of it because he says mm-hmm. i'm telling you i i know john wouldn't care mm-hmm. i know how he felt about this so right now it's getting kind of personal exactly and you can't you can't argue with somebody once it gets down to that and and but she might be like look well maybe he wouldn't care but i fucking care and <laughs> like i'm right. not gonna let you do it yeah and i think that's a flex and i get that paul would rankle at that because it because it is rankling but he should have let it go yeah well and he know. i think he knows it doesn't look it doesn't make him look good because he I never know. brings it up he never brings it up but people no. press him about it yeah he would be much better served to sublimate that hostility into something else like yes like uh, pushing back on her in more sympathetic ways <laughs> yeah right you know going harder on the <laughs> yoko stalked us for a year I wouldn't be making any comment about the linda is dying thing except that paul made it an issue he's the one who is you know accusing yoko of refusing a dying woman's wish so he's the one who went there and my point is right that it's not you know it's not her battle but i could also see if linda's on her way out and she's like well uh let me do if i could do this one thing for paul that's true. I, I don't think he was like, God damn it, Linda, you need to fix this for me. You know, I don't, it's not like, I don't think he made her <laughs> <or> do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. She seems like one of those people who on her deathbed would be like, How can I help? Yes, definitely. I think most people feel yeah. that way for their loved ones. Yeah. You know, very often they're like, Oh, this is going to hurt them more than it hurts me. Well, and in terms of like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff like that, like we know that she bitched to Danny Fields on behalf of Paul. And again, it seems like, oh, she shouldn't have to do that. But I don't know if my husband was denied something that I thought he deserved, like a place of honor that he got fucked over and didn't get, I'd do whatever I could to advocate for him. So, oh, oh, totally i wouldn't need to be pressured to do that i would feel angry on behalf of my spouse yeah i'm just saying for paul after the fact to then turn around and put that on yoko is is unfair i agree with you on that i agree with you on that would it have been nice of yoko sure but she's not obligated and then you know by the same token paul is not obligated to invite yoko to linda's memorial which spoiler alert is what happens So, in 1998, Paul loses Linda to breast cancer. As we already noted, Paul did not invite Yoko to the funeral. And this made for some celebrity news because when Paul gave an interview afterward to Chrissy Hind, a close friend of Linda and Paul's, Chrissy asked him about it. Was Yoko Ono a friend of hers? Paul, no, not really. So, would there have been any reason for Yoko to have attended Linda's memorial service? He responds, The thing we decided on the memorial services was, instead of inviting people who we maybe ought to have invited out of duty, that we would stay true to Linda's spirit and only invite her nearest and dearest friends. Seeing as Yoko wasn't one of those, we didn't invite her. Chrissy says, I only asked because there was a lot of publicity about the fact that she wasn't invited in america many people were curious about it paul then goes on to say that he didn't invite old friends from 30 years ago either um if they hadn't been in touch with linda then you know they didn't really need to be there and he tells a, a funny story about ted kennedy writing him a really nice letter of condolence right. after Thanks, Linda's ted. Death. And, he, and he's like that was super nice but Listen, I know that Linda did not know Ted Kennedy. So he didn't get an invitation <laughs> either. I mean, I appreciate it, but yeah. It seems like kind of a tacky subject. Like I I don't know why Yoko is talking about it at all. Agreed. I mean, maybe she was asked and she but she still could have said like, "Oh, no comment," or just like, "Oh, that's private or something," you know? Sure, or just, you know, something else than what she said. <laughs> Okay, we're going to refer back to that Chicago Tribune article here. It says Yoko Ono says she was hurt that Paul McCartney didn't invite her to a New York City memorial for his wife, Linda. McCartney's spokesman said the event was for family and close friends only. Ono told People magazine, We were a bit hurt, but I know that Paul is dealing with the tragedy as best he can, so he is allowed. What's weird though? is that yoko then writes a tribute to linda for rolling stone it's super weird it is Uh, yeah especially since like you're not close enough to the family to be invited to her memorial service like it's almost like oh yeah well i'll get the last word i wonder how many strings yoko had to pull to get this in there was it easy was it hard I don't know if it's a way to recenter the conversation on herself or if she's just like here's a moment for me to be relevant sort of again or if she's feels like she has to, I don't know maybe she just sees it as an opportunity to get in Rolling Stone yeah okay Yoko said it was apparent quote that our husbands were not all buddy buddy John and Paul were both talented, but also very strong-willed people. There was some real tension there. Linda and I left them alone.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, um, yo, you're very uh, laissez-faire. Very hands-off.
2: Yes. <laughs> okay. Um,
3: anyway. But, but Linda and I didn't go chummy-chummy, wink-wink. Aren't they silly boys, either? We both stood by our men that was how we were she also writes john and i would play paul's latest wings record in our kitchen john would say some nice things he couldn't say it to paul but when paul was not around john would say nice things about paul when paul and linda got a farm in scotland john said that's linda she's good for him what i don't know this quote is weird linda was really cool we weren't friends our husbands had tension but it's not like we bonded about that or or anything i was hands off when it came to john's social life and oh and with him and paul yes i never interfered. i let them work it out (laughs) (laughs) wow okay um and john's behind paul's back saying nice things i don't even know what to make of that i don't even is I that don't just? Know. Is that her way is of saying sugarcoating? I don't know. Is it is it her way of saying like John really was a nice guy though? Mm. He's you know he said mean things in public, but really underneath it all, he was super nice and sweet. Or is it a way of saying you can't get mad at me, Paul, for doing this? Because look, look at I'm look at this bone I'm throwing you. It could be true, or at least rooted in truth. It's very possible that John. Well, sure said great things about paul when he wasn't around that he wouldn't say to his face well i I assume it's true it's just weird that it's here in her linda tribute overall it's a nice bit of writing it's um it's kind it's tasteful um Mm -hmm. but again how does paul feel about this how does paul feel about yoko using linda to get into Rolling Stone because that's that's how I'm sure he would have felt about it especially if Linda and Yoko you know at the end were you know a bit frosty toward each other which Yoko makes no mention of of course and she was recently not invited to her memorial I just I don't know I yeah <laughs> it just feels like Yoko's kind of inserting herself where she I wasn't really invited literally not invited yeah i agree well there was a you know there was a massive swelling of goodwill toward linda and toward the mccartneys and she might have just wanted to jump uh, yeah on to, the to get wagon. in on it yeah. yeah yeah but again it's a it's a nice it's a nice article yeah there is there isn't really anything you can point to in it that's bad no not at all I mean, some of it's a little like, what? You know, like John going, that's Linda. She's great for Paul. (laughs) Like, really? Good for Paul. I'm so glad he found somebody who brings out the best in him. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like John. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's also a little bit where she talks about how unfairly Linda was treated and how people blamed her for the breakup and how all she did was stand by her man and Mm -hmm. (laughs) while all that is true it's also conveniently applicable to yoko right uh which does make it feel a little self-serving yeah yeah and you know ultimately like you know for the purposes of this series i don't think paul would have appreciated this well if anything i would think if anything you read it and you go wow yoko's super nice look she's she she has nothing but uh goodwill towards the mccartneys and paul exactly. just slam the door in her face what's his problem well there's that too Which i just, is just kind want of to say <laughs> that but there is that <laughs> this is kind of a fucked up thing to do to somebody mm-hmm. who's you know grieving yeah. <clears throat> but then again on the other hand you know if if yoko is a strange person which we definitely think she is you know Mm. maybe she wouldn't have been able to appreciate this was maybe not an appropriate thing to do maybe she thought it would help their relationship well that's true too like i do feel that Yoko has a hard time reading the room, sometimes. yes, exactly, yeah, which is another thing she has in common with Paul, which is interesting <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my God <laughs> Every time they hold a mirror up to each other is so fucking funny to me. <laughs> I feel like the way that Paul reacted to Yoko at the time of John's death is a lot different than how Yoko was treating Paul at the time of Linda's death. Agreed. I was just about to try to put that into words. The circumstances are a lot different, obviously, because John was murdered out of the blue, Mm -hmm. whereas Paul was dealing with this death for a a long time. Paul's behavior leading up to and directly after Linda's death is going to be who knows right you know who knows what's going on behind the scenes who knows what weird shit he's saying to Yoko I don't know maybe he called her up and cussed her out who knows yeah yep I would not that would not be surprised yeah and like we said with Yoko wouldn't blame her if she was like go to hell Paul don't I don't have time for you fuck off yeah my husband just died I also wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily begrudge Paul if he was just like, fuck you, bitch. You were never nice to, you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, of course, it's different because with John's death, Paul's losing somebody he was extremely close to. Whereas with Linda's death, Yoko's not really losing anything. She's not grieving. No. Yeah. She's not going through a thing. Whereas Paul's going through a lot after John's death. But this is probably about as bad as it gets between them. Salieri times plus Linda's death. Yeah, it's like, just book the studio, Salieri, (laughs) the credits issue, and then Linda's death. Boom, 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 boom. Like, this is bad. circle back to the credits issue since Paul did so many times it's only fair that we do as well so Linda passed in 1998 um we have an interview with Paul from Mojo magazine dated May 2003 but we're gonna talk about it here because this credit issue is a really an issue that begins in the 1990s Paul is asked if he and Yoko are still feuding And Paul says I know that's the public perception of it But I do not have a bad relationship with her We're not enemies, me and Yoko (laughs) We send each other Christmas cards and everything She's more like a distant relative (laughs) Mm. Uh, Yeah, the reporter presses him They ask But you are tussling over the credits to the Lennon-McCartney songs And Paul lies, I mean, Paul says, (laughs) there's no tussle at all. But if on my songs, like Hey Jude or Yesterday, which John openly acknowledged, particularly in the Playboy interview that he had nothing whatsoever to do with, John actually made a list for the Playboy thing, showing which songs were his and which were mine. I would be quite happy if on one of the songs, it would be allowed for my name to just come first. But I'm really not fussed. It's not anywhere near as big an issue as it looks. It gets played up in the press. It's a hot little story. And it makes me look stupid. Why the fuck does he want that? It's actually just a very
2: little request.
3: (laughs) Okay. First of all, I love how his proof that they don't have a bad relationship is that they send Christmas cards. I know. He's like, I sent her a Christmas card. Obviously, I don't hate her. Obviously, we have a good relationship. It has a postmark. Right, yep, yeah, it's like Paul. My dentist sends me a Christmas card, Mm -hmm. doesn't prove that we're friends, but (laughs) she's more like a distant relative. Uh, also, just to flag that, that comes up again distant relative, you know, my preferred way of talking about them. Oh, yeah, totally. (sighs) All right, so Paul continues, he says, More importantly for me, it's trades descriptions, it's so complex, and I hate to go on about it, but for example. I was reading a book, an anthology of poetry, and one of the poems in it was Blackbird, which is my lyric, and it's said by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Now, John had nothing to do with those words, especially once they've been extracted from the music and put into a poetry book. I think it's fair enough to put Blackbird in a poetry book by Paul McCartney. Give peace a chance. Take my name off it. It was a great, great anthem of John's it's sort of a mild request i made to yoko and it's sort of been turned down if she'd have said yeah the publishing company could have probably sorted it out mojo asks do you think it matters more to other people than it does to you (laughs) paul says (laughs) (laughs) what paul says i don't think anyone gives a shit Hmm. which is hilarious Paul that's aspirational you wish nobody gave a shit nobody didn't, should give a shit but believe me they do well didn't he just say that it's not me that cares it's the press like they it's a hot little story which is why that's a good, they that's stir a, it up that's a good point that's a good point yeah <laughs> I think he's thinking of the media as separate from people I think he's True. like no normal people care about this at all this is stupid it's just it's about publishing and Mm -hmm. And it sounds stupid. And when I talk about it, it sounds stupid because everybody reads it and thinks, why do you care? Who cares? And that's because no Mm -hmm. one cares, but I care, (laughs) but I don't want to talk about it. So (laughs) the Mojo says, but Alistair Taylor, who worked for you at NEMS and Apple for many years, told me he was very upset that you would want to change the credits. He says it was agreed at an early meeting that it should be Lennon-McCartney. And you agreed to that. Mm -hmm. Paul says, well, number one, Alistair was not in the meeting where I agreed to it. It's all very nice, these guys having their opinions. <laughs> it's all very nice, these guys having these opinions. But here's what I say, and this is the truth. There was a meeting with me, John, and Brian in Hilly House above a carpet shop in Aubermail Street. I love the details he gives here. He's like, I fucking remember. I can tell you exactly where shop. it was. The wallpaper and... was blue. We had fucking tea, so I can tell you it was around two o'clock, if you need to know. We went in, and they said, we're going to call it Lennon-McCartney. I said, "Uh, well, okay, fair enough, but it would be good to have it occasionally McCartney-Lennon, wouldn't it? Just for fairness for me. And they said, swear to God, hand on heart, but there was nobody else in the room, and they're both dead, so there's no way of me proving this, except I believe it, I was there, and nobody else who talks about it was there. And they said, we can change it as we go along. And we can change it anytime we want out of fairness. (laughs) Oh my God, he is on a tear. This This was why many years later, when the anthology came about, I and Linda, who had just been diagnosed with cancer, rang Yoko and said, could we just on yesterday, can we just switch that one track? That was the original request. It was just for that one song. And Linda, God bless her, spent quite a bit of time ringing Yoko and that was the start of it all. And now I must be resigned because it doesn't really matter except from the point of view of this Blackbird credit. There is an unfairness there, I think. But it's an unfairness I'm willing to live with. I don't mind. And I do think it has rebounded on me a bit because people want to know what the fuck does he think he's doing? I've had letters from people saying paul you're doing yourself no favors i was a big fan of yours but this terrible thing of trying to ruin john's reputation (laughs) i'm not trying to ruin john's reputation wow he's really going off i think it bothers him a lot but he (laughs) (laughs) but he knows that's not a good look and he probably suspects that you know it's shouldn't bother him quite as much as it does Mm. but it still does and he he just wants to he wants people to understand why he thinks you yeah he thinks that people don't see his point of view yeah they're taking it the wrong way which i think is both true and also he's just digging himself deeper i think yeah sometimes it doesn't matter (laughs) exactly if you're right it it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're right it doesn't matter if you have a good some things you just need to drop yep because nobody wants to hear it and he has finally the other thing though is that i've heard this framed in so many different ways i think maybe it's come up a few times so here he's talking about anthology it's just anthology and it's just yesterday but then later wasn't there he had a a solo album you know a live album Yes. and he wanted it to say he didn't want it to say mccartney slash lennon he just wanted it to list their names in full saying you know yesterday by paul uh, mccartney and john funny. lennon which in fairness would not be any reversal of any trademark it's just the order of the names one of the things he argues at some point is that look for the anthology we started to do john lennon and paul mccartney which is already a break from lennon mccartney totally yeah so if there's a precedent for this which is, I mean, it's a solid argument, really. It is He's like it absolutely is. There, there, there's a precedent set of of you guys switched it already, so yeah. Let's so put obviously lo- it's not harm- sacrosanct. Yes, exactly. So what harm is McCartney Lennon? Why is that harmful? But John Lennon and Paul McCartney isn't, especially when, as he has said, that my name gets fully fucking cut off in that scenario when you look at it on it comes up on your phone or whatever. All you see is John Lennon. Mm -hmm. and he's like fuck that yeah which i can understand yes i understand that that would be bothersome i get it yeah at this point i feel like he's done enough work now that there is nobody alive yes who doesn't know which songs (laughs) are paul's right and how much he contributed to the beatles and that's because of him he did have to do a lot of work to make that happen he's been working hard at that for the past 30 years making sure everybody knows and of course it's helped by him touring and playing you know 30 of his biggest hits right so definitely you know we've learned to associate hey jude let it be lady Madonna." like we associate all those songs with paul mccartney and that's what John Lennon did in the seventies. He said the same songs over and over. Every time he was interviewed, he said, Strawberry Fields, I am the walrus, help across the yeah. universe. You know, he said mm-hmm. those song names over and over and over and over again. And he said, those are my songs. Those are mine. Mm-hmm. Not Paul. Paul didn't have anything to do with it. Strawberry Fields, I am the walrus, you know, mm-hmm. whatever his uh, flagship songs are. So uh, once again, John did it first and very successfully but paul came around to doing the same thing many decades later well and then i've also heard it told not not by paul obviously but by others that he was trying to get you know on all publishing ever he was trying to get some songs the credits reversed and i so i don't know if that is true or not yeah i don't know if that's true it seems like that would be weird way too far yeah so so to jump ahead a couple of years paul resumes touring in 2002 i believe and he put out a a live cd and for those lennon mccartney songs he switched the names (laughs) and this turns out to be a pretty big deal yoko pretty much flipped her shit about it and threatened to sue which is ridiculous, well, I mean, she can't, but she wants she was willing to take this battle into the press probably because she knows it's bad press for Paul. might not be actionable, but it's not it makes him look bad. Elliot Mintz, who is her spokesman and has been her spokesman for a long time, said that Paul McCartney kidnapped Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. We have an article from 2002 that says if McCartney's latest maneuver of switching the credits indicates a compulsive need to prove his importance to the Beatles, which it does. Yeah, (laughs) Ono's reaction is harder to fathom, and considering her own dubious history of handling songwriting credits, loaded with hypocrisy. Ouch. Ooh. For one thing, Ono and Shukat—that's her attorney. Ono and Shukat's avowed concern that Lennon is no longer here to speak for himself on who wrote which song looks like an attempt to play the martyr card for all it's worth. Ono has conveniently forgotten that McCartney made a similar credit switch in 1976 when he included five Beatles songs on his live record, Wings Over America. Lennon was very much alive at the time, and neither he nor Yoko voiced a word of disapproval about it. If Lennon didn't object to the reversed billing at that time, why does Shukat find the same action, quote, absolutely inappropriate, unquote, now? Despite Shukat's early suggestion that he was looking into a possible lawsuit against McCartney, Ono would appear to have a flimsy case. While Beatles releases are required to carry the Lennon-McCartney designation, McCartney's capital contract allows him to reverse the credit for his solo releases. Ah, Okay. When contacted for this story, Shukat tersely responded, I have nothing to say about it, sir. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then it sort of gives a review of like the past five or six years. And then they sort of take a shot at Yoko later on in the article. It says, ultimately, Ono's concern for songwriting propriety might have some credibility, if not for her own history of taking credit for others' work. In
2: 1972,
3: as part, yeah, right? in 1972, as part of their Sometime in New York City album, Ono and Lennon released four live tracks recorded at the Fillmore East with Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. One track, the mother's standard King Kong, was retitled Jam Rag by John and Yoko, who inexplicably took full songwriting credit. Zappa remained miffed for years, telling Rolling Stone in 1988, I can't imagine that album really sold a lot. Anyway, it's the principle of the thing, you know. Didn't she get didn't she have herself um CGI'd in to replace Mei Peng in the <laughs> number nine dream <laughs> That's music true, she video? Did. She is yeah. too funny. Yeah, she did yeah. that. Yeah, She's like, so cool. Mei who? Not only am I gonna edit her out, I'm going to <laughs> imply that I'm singing back yeah. up. <laughs> she is funny. In nineteen eighty. Ono lifted the melody and musical structure from the Gus Con Walter Donaldson classic, Make and Whoopie and put new lyrics on it, retitling the song Yes, I'm Your Angel. She took full songwriting credit, which provoked a one million dollar lawsuit from the publishers of Making Whoopi. Oh. Yeah. So point is she's had her own issues with copyright and stuff like that. Sure. Which is kind which... of has nothing to do with this. Really. Exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> Somebody doesn't like Yoko over Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's tough. You know, on the one hand, it's like, Paul, you're not doing yourself any favors. I wish you could be chill enough to not care about this. On the other hand, though, it's weird for people to be like, well, it, it Paul shouldn't care that every song ever forever says John's name first. That's <laughs> yeah. that's that's petty for him to care about. But then also be like, oh, my God, Paul is walking on John's grave by occasionally having his name. Like, it either matters or it doesn't. You can't say Paul should have no problem with coming second and then say it would be a major problem for John to come second. Exactly. You can't can't have it both ways. Is it petty or is it sacrosanct? I agree with you on that. So the argument is like, well, Paul agreed to it. It's like, yeah, he did. Uh, He did. But like he said, and even Mark Lewison has backed him up. They also agreed to switch the credits when necessary, and they did it. Well, yeah, I was about to say the whole (laughs) Please Please Me album was credited McCartney-Lennon. So that happened. Then John and Brian went on vacation together, and after that, they changed it to Lennon-McCartney. And I guess props to John for being proactive, or I guess that's just neutral (laughs) and doesn't matter, or maybe that's just a coincidence. You know, we, we don't know. Who knows? I'm just saying... It either matters and has significance or it doesn't. I also think this is a matter of if you think of them as a married couple, let's just say for the sake Mm -hmm. of argument, right? Mm -hmm. Because this comes up with straight and gay couples alike. When they get married, you have to pick a family name, right? So you're either going to keep your original name. You're going to choose somebody's name, Mm -hmm. you know, or you're going to hyphenate or in rarer cases you make up a hybrid name or whatever anyway yeah the point mm-hmm. is especially when you have kids you got to figure out what your family name is going to be and so if they were if you think about this as like a marriage contract or whatever i understand the argument and i think paul would understand it too that it is just easier to have one name and go with it for the duration of the marriage well and of course and then if you run into the problem of like well what about the songs that were 50 50 you know if you've set the precedent of the main author has their name first then what well and it's just going to be confused like you're going to have to be switching it all the time it's less work it's easier and it's just cleaner and there is a touch of romance to having one name that you both Mm -hmm. agree to you know to having a family name that's stable and consistent so for all those reasons I could see why all those reasons would appeal to Paul and maybe even outweigh his desire you know for supremacy or whatever. He might like he might have been willing to take one for the team for the sake yeah. of having a brand that worked. But that's going to change when they're not together anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that that is normal. If you work on a project that you did 80% of the work on, you're going to be like, "Well, no, their name's not coming first on that. That's fucked up. You know? And if you've done a hundred percent of the of the work on it or the writing on it or whatever it is, yeah. Like in 1963, they experimented with flipping the names, you know, McCartney, Lennon, Lennon McCartney, but then ultimately they decided, let's just stick with Lennon McCartney and make that our brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's possible that Paul wasn't strong armed into that. It's possible that he was sweet talked into it. Or he was just like, eh, not worth it. I think he went along to get along. Exactly. That's how he kind of puts it, too. Not that they they didn't strong arm him. They just sort of made it very inconvenient for him to object. Right. But I'm saying if there's an extra layer, if John sweetened the deal somehow. Mm. Like maybe it was also just like a little romantic to have the same name. Which makes it even meaner. And harsher when in 1969 John's like, Yeah, well that's finished. So let's get rid of that. Hmm. Cause it does mean something. Yeah, give me my ring back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm just saying that there's something more behind this than what it appears. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's it is complicated. It's well, and it's personal between them. So again, it would be very galling for you know yes from paul's perspective an interloper yes you know so i get it i get it i understand the emotions the actions yeah hence hence him going listen i'm telling you this is how john would feel he wouldn't care you know that's why i think that that is him getting personal which is just like i know how john felt don't tell me how he felt now where you where it's like you're scratching a bigger yeah wound there 100 percent yeah but obviously you know things that you are emotionally involved in you're going to be less subjective <laughs> on <laughs> yes and you're going to dig yourself into your own demise yeah yeah, yeah. you're going to undermine yourself you know i i see it both ways i have more sympathy emotionally for for paul's perspective and less for yoko's but in terms of like you know objective what should have happened i agree too. eh, it's up in the air for me me too you know big part of me is like suck it up paul i know right you don't have a choice that you you made that bed a long time ago buddy and you slept in it for a long time so yeah you (laughs) tough shit yeah and also like stop showing people your vulnerabilities
2: mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm.
3: like yeah don't. stop handing your enemies in ammunition right it yeah just, you look insecure when you do this shit like don't which, which you are which so? you are and you have fair. right to be yes you were traumatized so fair enough but yeah. still he's so funny he's private about so many things but then like the stuff he shows you he can't possibly want Mm. to show you (laughs) yeah (laughs) very true that's so true you as always for listening to Another Kind of Mind. We hope you have enjoyed episode 3 of Strange Bedfellows. Stay tuned for episode 4. The new millennium begins with some interesting back and forth between Ono and McCartney. Mostly sweet with a hint of sour. Things then get spicy in 2008 when Philip Norman (laughs) jumps back into the fray with a new biography on John Lennon a book which includes several bold revelations from Yoko. She says that John's goal in 1968 was to make her a Beatle. What? Right? That kind of slid under the radar too. What also slid under the radar, (laughs) not quite as much, is Yoko becoming the first insider on the record to frame the John Paul breakup fiasco as rooted in deeper, more romantic feelings. Yes, she does. We'll talk about how things have apparently calmed down between Yoko and Paul in recent times and how, apart from the occasional flare-up, which we will definitely cover, public relations have remained friendly for the past 20 years. And what about the children of John and Paul, who are now poised to inherit the Lennon-McCartney Empire? Will they carry the same conflicts into the next generation? Or will they bring more balanced perspectives to the conference table? Don't miss episode four. Make sure you're subscribed on your platform of choice. I think we're actually, it's only going to be four episodes, though. I think we're going to hit it. I think we will. That's what I'm counting on. It's just going to be one hellaciously long Yeah. episode four. One very, very long episode, so I'm get proud ready. proud of us. Not least among the attractions is see Phoebe and Daphne stick to their <laughs> stated number of episodes. I love that you are oh, serious. preemptively congratulating us on <laughs> sticking to one episode, even though we have not done it yet. I'm feeling very confident. I know I felt confident in the past, but this, it's different this time. I can feel it. We're going to make it. And now we've pressured ourselves publicly <laughs> to follow exactly. through. So now we have to.